Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to another episode of Buckeye Talk. Steve Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew will be joining us later in the second segment. But first, Nathan, the first college football playoff rankings are out. And for the second time in the playoff era, Ohio State is number one in those inaugural rankings. They were number one in 2019 as well. The rest of the top four, OSU one, Georgia two, Michigan three, Florida State four, and then the first two out, Washington number five, Oregon number six. And just for the sake of where's Ohio State's wins right now, big wins, Penn State is number 11, Notre Dame number 15 right now. So Ohio State officially, according to the playoff committee, Two top 15 wins, and Nathan Boo Kerrigan emphasized that, whether it was on ESPN or on the call after us, that was the most important reason why Ohio State is number one. They have the better resume than anybody else in the country right now. Yeah, so I didn't know who else they could put number one at this point. I I, I didn't, and it's not like some bias for or against Ohio State. It's I just didn't know who else they could put number one. Like there's no other team that has two wins of that caliber. A lot, most of the teams that are being considered, those five power five undefeateds, don't even have one win like that yet. Um, you know, Georgia doesn't. Michigan doesn't. Florida State does with LSU. Um, Washington does by beating Oregon. So those are the two that I, I wondered where they would throw them. But I thought that this was clear. Like, if you're picking who right now has put together the best, the most impressive resume, you have to say Ohio State. Because once you start getting into only going off of performance metrics and things like that, and ignoring who teams have played, I think that gets dangerous. It's much easier to do it this way, to just say, well, this team has beaten two top 15 teams. Nobody else has. That's your number one team. And then you move on to number two. So I I did my usual prediction that we always do every Tuesday for when the playoffs start. And I was right about Ohio State being number one. I was right about Georgia being ahead of Michigan. I was wrong about Florida State being ahead of both of them, though. And That's the one that I'm still a little bit curious. If you're making the resume case and you're putting Ohio State at number one, it seems like you're not following through by putting Florida State number four. But it's all quibbling at this point, really. Um, So much football still left to be played. But I think it is probably satisfying for Ohio State to hear at this stage that the resume is the most important thing and that maybe there haven't been as the same eye test style points, however you want to say it, that there have been for Ohio State in past years. But to hear the committee saying the things that we've sort of been saying the last couple of weeks as we talked in anticipation of this, right? 
maybe the best defense in the country or certainly a, a defense that keeps traveling and keeps showing up in huge games. And they recognize the talent on offense. Even if that whole thing hasn't come together in an explosive way, they're not stupid. Like they can watch a football game and see Marvin Harrison Jr. They can watch that Wisconsin game and see Trevor Henderson, who hadn't played in a month, and be like, oh, maybe that explains a little bit of why this team has not had the same explosiveness. They know who Emeka Buka is and that he hasn't played. So I think all of those things are involved in why the committee would still at this point put Ohio State number one. I thought there were two names of actual players who were said in the call afterward. He said Marvin Harrison Jr.'s name, and he said Marvin Harrison Jr. is clearly one of the top players in college football with the way he's played, which, yeah, you know, (laughs) a 10-year-old could see that Marvin Harrison Jr. said. And he said Brock Bauer is his name. And I thought the Brock Bauer's name was informative because Georgia is also playing without Brock Bowers right now, which is part of the reason why I think Georgia is number two over Michigan and over Florida State. LSU is only 14, which is right above where Notre Dame is. So I'm wondering, it's going to be interesting to see where LSU goes in these rankings over the next couple of weeks, here, depending on how some things shape out here, because that Florida State win might not be as quality as the season continues on. So that, that was informative for me. But him saying Georgia getting a win and starting to look dominant without Brock Bowers being on the field, that mattered to me just as much as him talking about Ohio State's offense that way. I think the most important thing Boo Corrigan said, we still view Ohio State as the top team in the country based on their wins, based on their defense, and again, their offense is doing well enough to win games to be 8-0, which is – and he, he mentioned it earlier that the, the injuries to guys are missing a few key players. You just ran off that list. Trayvon Henderson and Mecca Buka, especially. Those are two guys where you can say combined the Mecca Buka and Trayvon Henderson are probably worth 10 points, eight to 10 points for your offense if those guys are on the field. Now things have to be clicking a little bit better, and Kyle McCoy's got to continue to progress. But those are two very quality weapons. So the fact that that was pointed out that this offense is doing well enough to be 8-0 despite missing some of these weapons, but also he made it a point to say that we're not going to take away from Ohio State's defense and how dominant they've been just because the offense hasn't looked like the way we expected Ohio State's offense to look. Yeah, and listen, the things that I was saying, and, and we can talk about Michigan separately here in a second, but like Michigan's non-conference schedule stunk, and by no by no fault of their own, they haven't played any – the Big Ten, they they have a backloaded Big Ten schedule, so that that's not their fault, and they've taken care of business against the ones that they have played. But a year from now, if Ohio State were the team that were eight and zero at this point in the season, it would be against a non-conference schedule of Southern Miss, Western Michigan, and Marshall, and and then you know the the Big Ten games. Who knows how they fall after that? Um, they do play, you know, Oregon and Michigan, obviously will be at the end of the year and Penn state. Those are like the three big ones. We could be all my boy. Well, my only point is that a year from now, we could be sitting here having a very similar conversation about how Ohio state, well, they're eight and oh right now, but they played nobody in the non-conference and, and they don't play Penn state till this week or whatever before the Oregon trip or, you know, whatever. So, you know, it, it's unlikely that all those would be in the last like three games or four games of the year, but they could. It's we've seen weirder things, I suppose. I, I'm just pointing that out because it's just it's just a matter of Ohio State just having things kind of fall their way in terms of some things, but also scheduling Notre Dame and and taking care of the the businesses in front of them. 
And I don't, I, I think this committee is savvy enough to see that it is just about winning football games. It's not about pulverizing people, um, especially if it's a difference between winning on the road at Notre Dame and pulverizing whoever, Marshall, at home. Like they're going to give you a lot more credit as they should for going on the road and beating West for beating Notre Dame. So uh, it's, 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 I think as you try to look at this into the future, does it have anything? Do we learn anything from tonight that would help Ohio State later? And I do think that to be number one right now is better than being number four right now with the same resume. If they were, if you, if they had come out and said, yeah, you know, those are good wins. But, you know, um, the offense just hasn't really been as prolific as these other teams that we're looking at, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If, if, that, if they had come to that, then that would be more precarious for Ohio State. That would tell Ohio State that maybe the only path in is beating Michigan and winning the Big Ten Championship. When you see yourself number one at this point, you've already got those two in your back pocket. That tells you that if you don't beat Michigan, it it you're going to be in the conversation still i think if you're a one loss team with those other two wins depending on what else happens around the country you're going to be in the conversation that's not a conversation they want to be in they want to just go ahead and be 12 and 0 and then win the big 10 championship but it's it it, it it it's just something for observers to i guess take note of more than the the team itself i thought two things and i wrote it right after it happened I wrote one of them. The other one I'm saying on this pod. I think if Ohio State and Michigan are both 11-0 again heading into that game, I agree with you that the loser is still going to be in the conversation in a way that the lowest they're going to be in the final rankings is probably five. And that's just because, you know, conference champion, one-loss conference champions got in. But I think the more important variable here is Ohio State's got they Pooh Garrigan also brought up Wisconsin. That's a resume building win for Ohio State, even if they're not a ranked team, because it was on the road, which I thought was important. But Ohio State's got three resume building wins already, and November is starting today as you're listening to this podcast. With the only resume building game left out there being Michigan, I think Ohio State being number one puts itself in a situation to where the Big Ten could have its first number one team in the playoffs if Ohio State wins that game. And that was my that, that's what I wrote right after this happened is Ohio State's already in control of its own destiny because it's gotten through Notre Dame, it's gotten through Penn State, and it got through the hypothetical trap game at Wisconsin. It can control its playoff destination if it beats Michigan on November 25th as well. Are you looking at it that way as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if if they were to beat Michigan and then win the Big Ten Championship game, I think there's going to be a pretty compelling case because there just isn't enough of the other contenders. Um, I don't know who else is picking up enough significant wins to offset that, to like catch up to what Ohio State's already doing. Now, it is important to remember that these wins that we're talking about are fluid. You know, at the time that they beat Notre Dame, that was a top 10 win. Well, it's not a top 10 win anymore, right? It's going to be how the committee evaluates the wins that you have is going to change as we see more about those teams over the course of a year that can help Ohio State it can hurt Ohio State it's helped and hurt other teams in the past you know just for instance um, Rutgers who they're about to play this week is six and two it's possible that the committee looks more favorably on Rutgers right now than it will a month from now when Rutgers gets done playing um, Ohio State at Iowa at Penn State, and then home against Maryland. And Maryland has obviously stumbled, but those are still fairly even 
that game could go either way, right? So you might be looking at a six and six Rutgers team at that point. Now there's obviously a world where if Rutgers is eight and four, and that means that they beat two other teams there, Maryland, and then either Penn State or Iowa, like an eight and four Rutgers team could be a top twenty five team in in mm-hmm. the final week of this. You know what I'm saying? That's one example of how this could potentially slide a little bit in Ohio State's favor. Let's take Wisconsin as another example because Wisconsin has already lost to Iowa and has already now lost to Ohio State. Its next four games are at Indiana, win, home against Northwestern, mm-hmm. win, home against Nebraska. I think that is a game I will be favored in. And then um, at Minnesota to close it. And that's one of those rivalry games. And maybe that's a toss up right now. But now, so now are we talking about an eight or nine win Wisconsin team when it comes to that final? So Ohio State not only has these three resume building wins and that one, the Wisconsin one is a little tenuous, but that win can improve. It's, you know, there's other wins out there that could maybe get better and look better in the long run. It's just the, the, the big win is still Michigan. And I agree with you that I think if you have the resume that Ohio State already has, you win these next three games, whoever wins that game, it's either going to be Ohio State justifying the ranking to begin with and showing that, yes, this is not the way Ohio State usually goes 12-0 and or attempts to go 12-0, and but this is how they did it this year, and they beat all of these teams that are held in this high esteem. Again, I don't know how you're not going to vote them number one probably at that point. I don't know the full intricacies of some of these other schedules, but they're already ahead and they'll be adding more of those quality wins. And same thing for Michigan, though, because Michigan now already has – when I did this prediction, I put Michigan fourth this morning. Um, They had them third. And I think right now they have a strong case to be made in terms of just having – obliterated everybody and the offensive mm-hmm. and defensive metrics both look so strong and now they're going to actually start having to play some people Penn State Ohio State still two of the next four games uh Maryland sprinkled in there and uh who is it Purdue is that they play Purdue this week so I think um, so. so they'll yeah. be 9-0 but I think it's at home even so uh, they'll be 9-0 but at that point you're going to be taking a Michigan team that has has had this performance, this season-long sustained performance on both sides of the ball, and then justified it by actually then winning the head-to-head against you know the other strong team. So I think there's a good chance that the Big Ten could have the number one overall seed. And that would be yet another step forward. I mean, to get two teams in last year was big for the Big Ten in terms of its identity and in terms of its, you mm-hmm. know, just its, its brand, if you want to say that. And then if they did that again, if they got two teams in and one of them was number one, Again, that's uh, that would be again enhancing this brand. Right as you're about to go into an era where you're adding four, look, look at the four teams that are adding right now. All four of those teams are in the top twenty-five uh-huh. tonight, right? UCLA, USC, Oregon, yeah. Washington, all four in the top twenty-five. The Big Ten proper itself can only get three teams in right now of the top twenty-five. Uh-huh. So you're going to go from three to seven if you include the extended Big Ten. And to to do that, to, to it's just a it's a big moment of potential, like making a statement for this conference to already be already at that elite stage, and then say, all right, now we're taking in numbers five, number six. It's it's it, it's a potentially big moment right here for the conference if if Ohio State and Michigan can kind of take this to fruition and pull it off. Yeah, six of the top twenty-five, but four of the top six is 
that's something for the Big Ten to be well, not right now, unofficially the Big Ten to be proud of. And I'm pretty sure next year they're gonna do some type of graphic with that. But last thing I think that was important. Are you shocked that the Michigan allegations just didn't come up in the room at all? Because it got emphasized a couple of times that. No, it doesn't matter because right now they're just allegations and we just focused on what was on the field. If I were on the committee, I I wouldn't have cared. I would have completely mm-hmm. set it aside because you can't – it's all still very speculative right now. Speaking of things that are fluid, mm-hmm. like that thing is very fluid. It's just water yeah. gushing out at us every time we turn our phones on. There's something new. It's a, a new uh, flavor of water or whatever. So um, – but no, I don't think you. I don't think you can can begin to consider it right now because if you make if you start making decisions right now with that in mind, and then it turns out to be something that will not apply in terms of penalty, in terms of you know eligibility for this season. Well, now you have to sort of change your criteria as you go. I think you need to be locked in in your criteria, and I think my criteria, if I were on the committee, and this may be the way the committee actually looks at it is if you're eligible, then we'll consider you. And right now, Michigan Uh is eligible. And it's not the committee's place to decide that Michigan is ineligible. I think it's the NCAA and the Big Ten's role to decide that. They are investigating it. They are going down that road. So once they get a resolution to that, then I think the playoff committee has a decision to make. If the Big Ten hands down some kind of punishment, or if the NCAA makes a true ruling in terms of a violation of rules here, that's when you maybe have you have something to consider for the playoff. Obviously, if they're not if they're not eligible, then they can't they'll take them out. If if it's a then the gray area is when if there actually is like a finding of a violation and and something that the NCAA points to its bylaws and says you did this wrong thing willfully, or even if you didn't do it willfully, you did it wrong. It, it was an unfair advantage. Then I think maybe the the committee would have some things to consider. Do you do you make it the primary thing to consider? No. Uh, but the other thing to remember here is sometimes these problems have a way of taking care of themselves. And mm-hmm. you've got Michigan third right now, despite how overwhelmingly strong their performance is on both sides of the ball. If they lose to Ohio State. And now you're just considering them with other one-loss teams. Yep. And right now they get to the end of the year and they have they have a win over Penn State, but that's it. And who knows how Penn State is regarded, speaking of fluid situations, who knows how Penn State's regarded at that point. Like the committee might just let Ohio State maybe do its job for it, but that's not uh-huh. an easy job. And Ohio State has a long way to go to, to get that done. I'm just saying that that's another possibility here, that if you if you're on the bubble, Maybe this is the thing that pops your bubble if they can avoid if they can nudge you aside for legitimate reasons uh, or may and it really at that point you would be talking about a team that again had will have had one quality win and now you could be talking about an Oregon team that has one loss and won the Pac-12 and beat Washington or whatever you know what I'm saying you know or and then Washington mm-hmm. also will have one loss and didn't win the Pac-12 just like Michigan mm-hmm. didn't win the Big Ten but also beat Oregon and, and had some mm-hmm. maybe some other good wins along the way. So just just things to keep in mind that this is this is the first this is like setting the foundation, but a lot of things are going to sift out here over the next six weeks before we have that s- selection Sunday potentially driving back 
early in the morning, bleary eyed from Indianapolis. I think that's all the things that were Ohio State related. The only other interesting thing, if it's, it's just if I covered Oklahoma, I probably would have asked why is Oklahoma behind Texas when they just beat Texas. But you know, I don't cover Oklahoma, so I don't have to worry about asking those types of questions. <laughs> yeah, um, did somebody on the call ask that? Did an Oklahoma Nobody, beat Redder? No, on? I don't. I don't. No, I think the it was it wasn't as many Ohio State people as I thought, but it was Georgia and Michigan, and then one group of five reporter. One. So nobody from Oklahoma to wave huh. the Sooner flag, which I That's, thought was interesting because I thought that was it's weird. Like I understand Texas over Alabama, Texas beat Alabama at Alabama, but Oklahoma that, beat Texas. I thought it would be that. seven. I, yeah, I thought Oklahoma would be seven, Alabama would be nine, and Texas would be eight. But okay, um, but 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 then again, when you're when you're talking about teams who are missing key players, Texas is missing Quinn Ewers. Yeah, and I wonder how much that matters right now. And to, you know, in Oklahoma, just lost to where did they have even Kansas in their top twenty five? By the way, I was trick or treating, so okay, I did. Yeah, I was not trick or treating. So like, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So let, let's but, uh, let's just give everybody the top twenty five. You know the top six already: seven, eight, nine, ten is Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ole Miss. Eleven through fifteen is Penn State, Missouri, Louisville, LSU, Notre Dame. Sixteen through twenty, Oregon State. Tennessee, Utah, UCLA, USC, and then 21 through 25, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Tulane, and Air Force. See, that that to me is is even more reason why Oklahoma should be ahead of Texas because it's one thing if they had just lost to an unranked team. But they just lost to a team that they have number 21 in these rankings, and you've Mm -hmm. beaten Texas head-to-head. And and it's things like this that make people think that you have an Alabama bias. Because now it's yep. almost like, well, <laughs> you beat Texas, but Texas beat Alabama. So Texas gets to go. You know what I'm saying? That's what it looks like to people. People are going to think that. And the easy way to avoid doing that is to not, to not for people not feeling that, is to not do it. So uh-huh. I, I don't know why, again, like let these things, it reminds me of 2021 when Oregon had beaten Ohio State. Everyone knew Ohio State, by the time they actually started doing these rankings, was the better team than Oregon. but the selection committee and people who were like resume voters in the AP poll. So me at the time still had Oregon ahead of Ohio state because you had to put Oregon ahead of Ohio state because they beaten Ohio state and you couldn't until Oregon lost a game or until Oregon lost even like multiple games, you had to consider putting, you had to really put Oregon ahead of Ohio state. And then finally though, they, they suffered that other loss and it just took care of itself. So why they're, why they wouldn't, it's the first one. Why they wouldn't just keep Oklahoma ahead of Texas for yeah. now and let the let the let it sort itself out in coming weeks? I I, I don't know because you can change it every week. It's a brand new thing. You're mm-hmm. not holding what they what they voted this week should and by that what they say doesn't make any difference of what they're going to do next week. It's a it's it it ended at seven o whatever tonight and that's done and then next week it starts with a blank page. That's how I used to vote. That's how they do their committee, supposedly. So if that's true, I don't understand why Oregon, sorry, I keep saying Oregon, Oklahoma wasn't ahead of the team that it has beaten. Oklahoma and Texas are probably going to plan each other again in the Big 12 championship. So as you said, that might even, you know, that might sort itself out as well. What, what matters most here today is Ohio State is number one in the first rankings of the 2023 season they're in control of their own destiny and it's very simple what does Ohio State have to do to get into a playoff win 
beat Michigan and you're probably in unless something crazy happens in the Big Ten championship game. Lose to Michigan and you're in a situation like you were last year where you need some weird stuff to happen for you to end up in the playoffs. So just win. Do what you've been doing and you're going to be in the playoff. And that's what the committee told us on Tuesday night when they ranked Ohio State number one. Yeah, it's it's a good sign for what could happen if you end up as a one-loss Big Ten non-champion because yep. you know Oregon's already got a loss. It could, you know, Oregon could beat Washington and, and then be the Pac-12 champion in Washington. So that I think Ohio State's, by what they've done so far, would be ahead of of Washington. Um, you know, if 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 Georgia takes a loss somewhere along the way, you know, there's there's teams that they would seemingly get the benefit of the doubt over right now. But uh, no one should be comfortable with that. It's just there's just too many unknowns, too many variables, and um, it. It really does just set up what it should do most of all is just remind everyone, hey, like two of the three best teams in the country are a month away from playing each other and they hate each other. And now there's this other thing going on with Michigan and they're this we're going to be this is going to be one of the like hottest, not in temperature, probably, unfortunately, but like one of the hottest Ohio State Michigan games of all time. Like this game is going to cook. Well, it's already snowing outside, and it's October 31st, and there's probably going to be more snow that comes by the time we get to that game. We'll take a break there, and when we come back, this is the biggest news of the night, but it's not the only news that happened concerning Ohio State on Tuesday. We also talked with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles as they prepare to play Rutgers on Saturday. So when we come back from the break, Andrew will join us, and we'll discuss some of that here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back on Buckeye Talk after that nice lengthy conversation about where Ohio State is ranked in the college football playoff poll. That wasn't the only newsy thing that came out of Tuesday, the day in general. We talked with Ryan Day and we talked with Jim Knowles if they prepare to take on Rutgers on Saturday. That's at Rutgers at noon on Saturday. Nathan, (laughs) it seems like there's a new (laughs) topic about this running back room every week in terms of who's healthy, who's not healthy, who's playing, and who's not playing. I guess we do have some finality about one running back now, Mayan Williams, and whether he will or won't be playing. Ryan Day said he is out for the rest of the season. Just what some details around Mayan Williams and then what that means for Ohio State's running back room going forward. So obviously Mayan has been kind of on again, off again. Going back to the preseason, really, uh, we had seen him you know, multiple times in the preseason having to come off to get extra tape or or just knowing that he'd been kind of in and out and he missed um, a game a few weeks ago and then comes back against Penn State and plays his biggest workload of the year and then doesn't make the trip last week and kind of had a sense at that point that something was amiss, right? And, you know, smartly somebody asked about it today and, and, and they confirmed they're just shutting him down for the year. They had a procedure uh, we believe it's because of the knee thing that he's been dealing with for a while and uh, that he's just not going to play again this year. And, uh, you know, the good thing for Ohio State is that they came into the year knowing they have a lot of depth there. You know, Trevor Henderson coming back as healthy as he did and being able to play uh, the way he did uh, is obviously a big lift for that room. You've got Chip Trainum. This now becomes like the thing that removes the hurdle from – Dallin Hayden playing more snaps. I don't know if it means that they will decide now to not even bother with the red shirt or not, because I still think he's third at best on this list and they have other guys that they can mix in there if they need to. But if they need him, you know, if, if this situation had arisen against Penn state, 
he would have been the guy playing instead of uh, Mayan Williams, right? So it, it, along with Chip Trainum, if Trevin Henderson wasn't available. So it, that gives you some perspective on where he moves up to. But if it means a big role for him, I don't. I doubt it because he didn't play a lick at Wisconsin last week. Um, but it's unfortunate for Mayan Williams because a guy who I thought had a lot of momentum coming out of last year, led the team in rushing, had a really good you know average per carry, showed some things last year, and then the combination of Henderson coming back, Trainum stepping up, his own injuries, just this becomes kind of a lost season for him. And he'll have the opportunity to come back next year. Uh, we can debate. We already kind of have on our on our YouTube channel whether that makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, maybe it does. Maybe it makes a, a ton of sense considering who else they could lose. But for right now, I think it's more just about can he get to a place by shutting it down this early, having this procedure, shutting it down early, does it get him to a place where no matter where he's trying to play football in the fall of 2024, he's doing it fully healthy maybe for the first time in a while. And she's had a year of eligibility left since he is a fourth-year guy. Next year will be his fifth year. But the room, potentially, we talked about this all year, could lose Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson, Chip Trainer. We were saying that even before Mayan Williams' injury situation where for sure you knew that Dallin Hayden and Evan Pryor would be back unless they obviously decided to explore other places. That was the expectation. That at least those two guys would be back. Obviously, there's two guys in the 2024 recruiting class with James Peoples and Jordan Lyle, though Jordan Lyle seems to be going through the typical Florida commit, commits early to Ohio State, and maybe somebody might try to flip him. But as the room stands, potentially Mayan Williams could come back. What would be the benefit to Ohio State in having Mayan Williams back? next year if he did decide to come back and just in your analysis do you think that would be in his best interest to potentially come back for a fifth year given that he's only played 107 snaps this season well you know i i look at i look at a couple different things when when this is leveled right and this is layered and i think it would be a benefit to ohio state's room because you know we, we just said it you know there's a chance that uh chip Trainum and trevion henderson are gone and then that leaves the room with Dallin Hayden, Evan Pryor, and Mayan. And if Mayan were to come back, I mean, there, there's the veteran guy who has kind of played a little bit, and you know what you're getting out of him. Um, you know, I think that that would be that that would be beneficial for Ohio State in in terms of what it means for having a reliable option. I mean, we've talked about this with Dallin Hayden. Ryan Day has kind of alluded to maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, um, maybe not so maybe heavy handed, I guess you could say with, with his, you know, with, uh, Dallin Hayden's blocking ability, maybe kicking him off the field or at least something else that's not running the ball. And I think you would trust Mayan to do that. Um, but you've got those running backs, you've got James Peoples who is coming in the class. You've got Jordan Lyle who was coming in the class, but those guys are true freshmen. And I don't know if you want to rely on true freshmen, like it would be a young and an inexperienced room. Steven and I debated this on the recruiting pod. Like there are positions that Ohio State has recruited that you feel good about just kind of them just turning out the assembly line and then just kind of turning out guys every year. I don't know if you feel great about that running back room in terms of experience or at least what it could be. So it would be a benefit to Ohio State. But with Mayan, I don't know if the benefit is there. Um because and like I understand that might sound backwards because you look at his career and he's not done 
like, and he's not done enough to put himself as like one of the best running backs in the 2024 class. Like we can kind of expect Trevion Henderson will be in that mix. Mayan's not there, um, but he still does have a decent amount of wear and tear for a guy who it doesn't feel like has played a ton. Like he's got 258 career carries. Um, you add in a few more receptions, like the running back position is a brutal one to play at the college level and at the NFL level. And if you want to play at the NFL level, we've seen how the NFL treats running backs and we've seen how quickly running backs can wear down in the NFL. And you've already got a couple injuries in the past for Mayan. So I think it might make sense for him to just try it and to just go now and to just, you know, forego everything and try to make it in the NFL because another season of wear and tear. I mean, what if he comes back to Ohio State and one, he gets hurt again or two, you know, you have 125 carries that that's a lot, you know, that's a lot for these guys to take on. So I think, especially with Ohio state's class, I, I just look at the running back room and say they would like him back. I think that they wouldn't be turning him away. I, th- I don't think that that would be kind of where we're at, but I do think that Mayan, I, I do think it would be in Bi- Mayan's best long-term interest to, to see what the NFL future is or to see what the other, what other future he might have. Nathan, did, did the, Go ahead, Nathan. I was say, the thing that makes that tricky, though, is like, depend. What's the timetable of his recovery from this injury? Sure, right. And can he mm-hmm. even work out for teams by next February? That's that's the tricky thing. We're already starting November, so that's what makes the calculus a little bit harder. Um, so it makes that's and also what makes me think that maybe there's a chance he would come back just because uh, the, the timeline might not sync up perfectly for him. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Rabinowitz, I think, clarified whether it was an ACL or not. I think he said, they said it's not an ACL, but it, it does depend on how severe the knee injury was and what recovery time is, though. But did the 2020 class, Nathan, do they have the COVID year two? Because he might have two years. 2020 is the only year that has the COVID. Is the only no, like the, the people who are freshmen. The, yeah, the people year. who were in the freshman class of 2020 is what you're saying. Do they get it, too? They're the only yeah, – yeah. I mean, everybody who played in 2020 has that okay. extra year. So okay, he, yeah, he, he was has a two years in left. 2020. Yeah. So he has that year. Um, okay. But, yeah. Okay, I'm just making sure because he's got two years. And he's got the typical fifth year you get and then the sixth year on top of it. No, because I, think, did, I can't remember. Did he play – I'm trying to remember how much he played in 2020. He I guess he is just a redshirt junior. Yeah, because he played four games right. in the 2020 season. So, so he's he does, got – yeah. So yeah. he, yeah, you don't get an extra year on top of that. That's mm-hmm. just you. You would get that, yeah. I don't think. I mean, either way, either way, it would be three years. He would have the fourth year. So yeah, it's just it's just one. Okay. Year. Okay. Well, that's one injury. The other injury updates that we did get, one of which I don't think we were maybe expecting to get this early. One was Devin Brown, Nathan, and the other one was Latham Ransom. Let's start with Devin Brown first because it's quarterback related. Is Devin Brown related? I mean, there's a bigger quarterback conversation to be had on this pod. Yeah, that's true. He's, he's he is a quarterback. It's not just related to that situation. Is Devin is Devin Brown going to be back at practice this week, whether he plays or not this week? Ryan Day said he's practicing today, but was okay. also a little bit cautious in the way that he said it. In that it didn't sound like it necessarily meant he was full go today. You know, guns a blazing. It was more like he'll be back out there today, and then we'll see what that looks like. We'll see what happens. So it's it's still positive news because Ryan Day 
last week at this time was talking about it being, you know, a couple of weeks at least before he comes back and he ends up missing the one game, but now allegedly back at practice Tuesday night, which will be in the past, I guess, by the time people hear this, right? But, but still like Tuesday night, uh, he'll be a practice or was supposed to practice. So we'll see if we see him on Wednesday when we're out there. Um, we'll see what that means for what he is on Saturday. I would be surprised if this is something that pushes him back towards availability by Saturday where he could really play in a, in a real way. But uh, it's still positive to hear that he might be ahead of schedule and how quickly he can come back from that. He's already done that before. Like with the, the, the finger injury that he had in the spring that he broke, he was supposed to be back in you know six weeks, and he said four, uh, and then it ended up being like five-ish. So he was back faster than expected from that slightly. So it seems like a pretty tough guy who will try to, to fight through this and get back as soon as he can. And then the last two, he, I mean, he said they're expecting Emeka Buka to play this week. I mean, not to be at practice this week. We'll see if he actually plays. They said he was available. Ryan Day said he was available to play on Saturday, but then they just thought it was just best to hold him out. And then the Lathan Ransom one. Nathan, you guys asked Ryan Day after the game on Saturday about Lathan Ransom and his status. He said he didn't have an update. Has anything changed on Ohio State starting banded safety? Not really. It didn't sound uh, promising from a standpoint of him playing this week, right? He said it. There's more needs to be evaluated, more that they're trying to lock down as far as what the timeline is for him. I did not take that necessarily to mean that he could be shut down. I could be wrong, you know, because he was being pretty vague. I thought it was more, um, is he going to try to practice this week or does he not practice this week to recover from what ever exactly happened on that play and then you get him building back up next week or, or the week after, you know, they've got a little bit of time to play with in the schedule, frankly, both with the depth that they have at safety and the, who they're going to play in these next three games. It gives them the time to use as much of these next three weeks as they need to get someone as, as important as him back on the field as, as close to hundred percent as they can for Michigan. Andrew, how does that impact how Ohio State might deploy its safeties on Saturday if Lathan Ransom can't go. Well, one of the things that, that Jim Knowles said was that Sonny Styles and Jordan Hancock were going to play a lot on the um, on the field together. Uh, and that's, I think, a position and a role that we have seen Sonny Styles slowly start to grow into. I know Nathan and I pointed this out in the press box, and this was talked about today with Knowles. You know, they had Sonny Styles playing single high safety against Wisconsin, which was just not a position that we had seen him in earlier this year. You know, this was kind of a new thing. And so you have Styles back there. We saw Cam Martinez play a little bit. I think the safety rotation and the corner rotation and the versatility that is back there have kind of made this a nice situation for for the Buckeyes here because I mean, you look at what's on, what's in the back end with Proctor and, um, you know, with Styles, and you have the corners with Burke and Igbenosin. Like those two guys on the outside and Hancock's versatility, like that has kind of allowed them to do different things and to mix and match with, you know, different personnel packages. Like you heard uh, Jim Knowles say today that the Wisconsin game was more of a nickel game. You know, that was why they saw, or that was why we all saw Cam Martinez play a little bit. You know, he mentioned that it was just a better matchup in the slot. So the versatility will 
will help them here. Um, and I think this is something that we, we talked about this on our YouTube after the game. This is something that you can get through for a couple of weeks. This is something that you can work through, you know, against Rutgers. This is something you can work through against Michigan State and Minnesota. I don't think, and I think we would all agree, I don't think that this is a long-term, oh no, this is a problem. You know, I like, I, I think that that's where we're at with, with the safety position. Like if Ransom's out, I think you would have a lot of questions going into that Michigan game. You know, if that's where, if that's where this ends up or going into a college football playoff game, like that's where I think we would be. But in the short term, I think you're just going to see a lot of different guys play roles that they have either played sparingly or played in different spots because that's been the unit so far this year, right? Like that's been kind of what they've prided themselves on and that's been what they've done. They've, they've all kind of moved back and forth and moved around. So um, I guess in a way they've been prepping for this for a couple of weeks. Nathan, when Jim Knowles got asked about other options potentially in the slot in that nickel role outside of Jordan Hancock, he did specifically say another corner, but he didn't say Jermaine Matthews could be one of those guys because he didn't want to throw a true freshman in that spot. This is a theory. I'm just going to throw this theory at you and, what do you and see what you think about it. Because he also admitted that, we, we talked about this on Monday, Cameron Martinez only played six snaps. Now, they were in some important moments at the time. He was out there for a third and eight. But he also admitted that Cameron Martinez hasn't been completely healthy and he's been working back from something. So maybe that played a role in some things. But just throwing out this lineup for you, and you can tell me if I'm crazy or not. If they have to go dime against Rutgers on Saturday, which they were expecting to have to do more against Wisconsin, which is hilarious that we're talking that way about Wisconsin offense. But Jordan Hancock is clearly one of the nickels. Denzel Burke is clearly outside. Could Davis and Igbenosin be your other dime and you put Jermaine Matthews on the outside while you keep Sonny Styles and Josh Proctor back? What do you think of that? Um... Like, do we think that Jermaine Matthews is a better outside corner than Cam Martinez is a slot corner or a nickel safety? That's what I'm. Right yeah, now? that's yeah. essentially the question. I think that might be about a wash right now, if <laughs> I had to guess. Um, but I also think that again, the, I don't know how often this is going to come up. It, 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 like, if they're fully healthy again, if you have Lathan Ransom back and your corners are healthy, is this even a question when you play Michigan? Because then the answer is just Hancock and and Styles are both still in there, as right. in the dime package. So the the consternation that people have as far as the six DB look, and I don't even know how much they would need to use a six DB look against Michigan. But the, the consternation people are starting to have about that, I, I just pump the brakes on it a little bit. You know, this is one thing that they went to in this situation. It was a limited number of snaps. I know that Cam Martinez was caught in a, you know, a very public play in that Michigan game last year. But I also think that I, I don't know that they're going to be in that same situation where they have to put him on the field. Like the, the personnel have just changed so much. So I don't dismiss it, I guess, but I also just, I, I don't know if, if Davis and Igman is the kind of body you're trying to get the extra body. on. I guess he isn't really the extra body. Jermaine Matthews would be the extra body mm-hmm. in that case. Uh, but but from an experience standpoint, Martinez knows that role better. Um, are, and and so are you? How many different places are you compromising just to avoid getting him out there? I I, I don't know. 
I would expect that if, if on Saturday, I would expect it to probably still be Cam Martinez getting the first shot if they felt like for some reason they have to go to 60 Bs. But by the way, they won't. Like Rutgers is a running-oriented yeah. yeah, team. Like this isn't going to come up Saturday. So it's something to file away in the back of our minds, I suppose. I really think, though, it's not something to even think about again unless we get into Michigan and it seems like Lathan Ransom or somebody else back there isn't able to play. So I think I, I actually don't – I. I'm intrigued by this experiment now. Like it, it, it got the hamster wheels turning upstairs for me, and I'm I'm starting to I'm starting to think because what if, what have we heard about Davison? I I mean, look, I I have I mean, obviously we all know I showed up in late July. The only thing that I have heard about Davison Igbenosan is, oh yeah, he's a really good corner, and one of the things that makes him great is that he is willing to stick his nose in there. And what does everybody say? Facing the fan or whatever. Like he's willing to do that and be aggressive and make tackles and be involved in the run game. So I actually don't, I'm intrigued by that possibility of getting him in the slot and getting him because you know, he's an involved run stopper. Like, you know, he's an involved run defender. So I'm, I'm curious now what that would look like. I, I don't know if we'll see it, but I, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. Steven has definitely well, had worse ideas, but that's not one of them. I'll, I'll second that, but uh, <laughs> but it's it's also he's talking about specifically on a, on a six defensive back, setup. yeah. And right there, yeah. you don't really care how much he stops the run. That's all about mm-hmm. coverage. So now, Davis Nigbenosen has has shown himself to be solid in coverage. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying I don't know that it's the place that they need to go with that yet. Um, I, I think I would still give Cam Martinez some benefit of the doubt to be that sixth guy under these circumstances with Ransom out and you try to have everybody back healthy for Michigan. Yeah, you're probably right. Plus, Rutgers is not going to go four wide that often anyway, so it probably doesn't even matter for this week. I think the more the more interesting thing here is Ohio State safety death has taken some hits here with obviously Jihad Carter already being out and then Lathan Ransom being out. Maybe if it is, even if it is a short period of time here, you're an injury or you're an abducted alien abduction away, alien abduction away from potentially having to put a freshman back out there on the field. And we saw it earlier this year with Malik Hartford stepping in for Josh Proctor. I think that was Youngstown State. It didn't look great, but that was also two weeks into the regular season for a true freshman. We've seen Jermaine Matthews and Carnell Tate since do it, and they've kind of thrived, excelled in those roles. If you go into, if you get into a situation where Malik Hartford has to play for you at any point, over the next couple of weeks until you potentially get Lathan Ransom back, is he more ready to step up into that role? And from what we've seen from other freshmen and the way that Ryan Day has talked about some of these freshmen who were early enrollees, there's no reason to think he won't be more ready for the role in week 9, 10 than he was in maybe week 2. So I think that's the more important thing to keep an eye on because Ryan Day made it a point on Monday when he had a radio hit on 97.1 The Fan to mention those three freshmen, Jermaine Matthews, Cardinal Tate, and Molly Carford. I think those are three guys who, in these situations, we've already seen two of them have to sh- have to show up for guys who were injured. Potentially, Malik Hartford might be have to do the same here. We're going to take a quick break there, and when we come back, we'll, we're going to deep dive into combo court because Ryan Day got asked 45 million different ways, how hurt is your quarterback? And he found a way to evade every single one of those answers about the most important guy will pos- position on this team. And so we'll get into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Get the text. 
one five two week free trial three ninety nine. After that, Andrew was sending off all types of texts during Ryan Day and Jim Knowles' press conference as they prepare to take on Rutgers. And amongst those questions, Nathan, were a barrage of, "Hey Ryan, how hurt is your quarterback, and is any of his injury impacting anything he's doing out there?" In which I think Ryan Day's consistent answer. Now he did answer some of it, but a lot of it was tough. It, I, w- I felt like that was the message of today was like, listen, a lot of people hurt, toughen up, fight through it, figure it out. Did you get that same vibe from him today? Yeah. And not, not that I thought that he was like calling common court out for anything. I think it was just, he did say a phrase that I've used on the pod before that I had gotten from a, a, a coach that I covered back in the day that there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. And it sounds like, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a fair way to, to, characterize things and sort of what we were all going to come and ask today was is common cord hurt or is common cord injured because when you're hurt you just sometimes have to play hurt and when you're injured it means you can't play like there's something physically keeping you from being able to step onto the field or the court or the pitch or whatever sport you are so i didn't really think that he evaded the question that much i feel like he just didn't I don't think he wanted to he was caught maybe in a place where like you don't want to dismiss that this guy is kind of toughing it out through something that hurts but you're just not wanting to call it an actual injury because it's not and so I think it was more just a matter of he has now both post game and again on Tuesday made allusions to yeah you know he he had to work through something there and he's one of the guys that stepped up and and got tough and worked through it so um it is part of what this is like this is a time of year where a lot of guys are banged up. Just look at over the course of this season, how many guys on this team that we know have dealt with something. I mean, just on the offense, you know, Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, Trevian Henderson, Chip Trainum, Mayan Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Abuka, Julian Fleming was banged up against Wisconsin, and nobody asked about him today. He obviously had was dealing with a few things in that game. Cade Stover's wearing a thing on his left. Like that's like it's every skill position player on this offense has dealt with something this year. So this is just Kyle McCord's turn. Andrew, so I think it's just safe to 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 operate under the assumption that Kyle McCord is not a hundred percent out there. He's dealing with something, and whether it's impacting his game or not, the point is he's dealing with something, and he's playing through it, at least for right now, that we know of. We're expecting him to play against Rutgers. We did a video on this, and I'm going to ask you the same question, but I'll just kind of layer it here. Should Ohio State play Kyle McCord on Saturday, or should they take the approach that they took with C.J. Stroud back in 2021 when – the week of the Akron game, they sat him because he was clearly dealing with a shoulder thing that was clearly impacting him as a player. He was coming off his real worst game as a Ohio State starting quarterback against Tulsa. They sat him, and then he came back out against Rutgers, ironically enough, and was just awesome the rest of the year. Should they take that route? And if not, how should they approach offense and trying to game plan around Kyle McCord when you know he's not 100% healthy? Yeah, uh, so lot there. I think I think you you have to play him obviously and I think the in terms of the game plan question, I think what you do is you do things that limit his mobility. Um I think 
I mean, when you're in those situations, you can do different things to loosen it up. You know, like you can do different things on a game day that you maybe wouldn't do during the week. Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking, you know, st- you can stretch it, you can heat it, you can, you can really go full go with this thing and try to get it as loose as possible and try to get as, as, you know, try to get it feeling as good as you can going in. You can wrap it as much as you want. Um, but I still think you have to limit what you do with him. So I wouldn't roll him out. You know, I would kind of throw those plays in the trash can for this week. I would, uh, I would keep him in the pocket. I would add quicker throws you know, maybe get rid of a middle screen where you're going to have to ask him to move or, you know, plays that are dangerous like that. You got to get rid of those. I, you know, bubble screens, slants, you know, quick hitters. Like those are the types of routes that I would be doing where it's just one, two, three, bang, and he's getting the ball out of his hands. Um, You know, that, that is where I think you can manage this because kind of like we were saying earlier, I don't think you take it. I don't think you can take him out one for, I mean, Devin Brown is banged up and I know Devin Brown, Ryan Day said Devin Brown's going to practice today and today being Tuesday. Like I know he said that he was going to practice, but one, he, even Ryan Day, Ryan was either unsure or did not want to say how much Devin Brown is going to practice. So you don't know what the status of your second team quarterback is. And I mean, look, I'm not trying to paint Rutgers out to be some juggernaut, but it is a big 10 team on the road. And it is a team that is bowl eligible, and it is a team that is going to try and make life miserable for you. And you got four gate, you got Rutgers, you got Michigan State, you got Minnesota, and that is it until your runway until the Michigan game, right? You can't give someone a week off to fully heal, frankly, because one, this team is not Akron, you know, Rutgers is not Akron, and two, the offense is two thirds of the way through the regular season at this point. You can't mess around and you can't be saying, you know what, we're, we'll give him some time because if we all watch the Wisconsin game, if there was somebody who needs to work on some things, especially in his first year as a starter, it's Kyle McCord. And, uh, you know, Kyle McCord, I don't think played well against Wisconsin and especially kind of considering, even considering the ankle, I don't think he played well. And, you've got to fix this, right? Like you can't let him rest and then say, all right, well, we'll give him the Rutgers game. And then ah, if he's not feeling it against Michigan state, maybe we'll do that too. Like he's got to play like, unless he's going to really go out there and re-injure himself, he's got to play because that's how you learn. And that's how you get better. So you got to get him out. You got to get him out there. You got to get him out on the field. And obviously this is kind of understanding that he's not going to go out there and just you know, cripple himself by, you know, just like ruining his ankle. If he walks out onto the field, that, that should be stated. Obviously that would change things, but if it's just a pain tolerance thing, he, he, he'll play, he'll, he wants to play, you know, he wants to play, he'll play. And there are things you can do, but you can't pull that card that you did against Akron a few years ago. One, because the opponent's different. And two, because you're just at a different point of the season where you had some time to work things out then. You don't really have some time to work things out now because, I mean, this offense has been without a Mecca for a few weeks now. You got to get people on, you got to get people in sync. You got to get this offense ready to roll because the Michigan game is looming and the Michigan game is in a few weeks and you've got to be firing on all cylinders, especially with the lack of offense that this team has had at points of this year. 
you've got to be ready for that game because if you're not, that's how you're going to lose against Michigan. Nathan, I'm assuming that you're in the corner in the camp of Kyle McCord should play on Saturday, correct? Yeah, I don't think there's any way you're keeping Kyle McCord out of this game. If he can play, he will play. I mean, it's, the other thing we haven't talked about yet is how important this game is to his family. I mean, his dad, mm-hmm. Derek, was a played quarterback at Rutgers. That's where his parents met. His mom, Stacy, is also a Rutgers alum. Like they, they, this is a big game for him. So uh, as much as he was definitely like grimacing and limping around the sideline, you know, Ryan Day did say that we talked to him during the game and tried to get a, a read on him. And, and McCord said something along the lines of, don't worry about me. I'm fine. It's, it's nothing. So it didn't look like nothing all the time when he was out there. And it, it, he can't let it be a thing that starts to affect his play. But as long as it's not doing that, uh, then I think he, he absolutely plays on Saturday. And then you try to take care of this game in other ways, if you're Ohio State, to um, you know, make that what is right now about a 19 point spread, you know, try to try to make that kind of emphatic and see if you can maybe work somebody else into this game for the final quarter or something like that. Just not even to give him rest because at that point it's not really about rest. At some point you just want to stop exposing him to hits, exposing him to having to move around too much with with urgency. So no, I, I think he he 100 plays. The other thing, like this, I because I you know I'm the one who who sort of started that conversation on the video that we did about and made the comparison to 2021, but there's, there's two big differences. Number one, it's an ankle, not a shoulder. Like CJ Stroud, Mm -hmm. like almost literally couldn't throw the ball or certainly couldn't throw it the way he needed to. And I don't know that we have real reason. We suspect that this left ankle injury affects comic cord somewhat mechanically. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it's not as obvious as it was that something was wrong with CJ Stroud in 2021 in that um, Tulsa game. Like that was just blatant. The other thing about that Tulsa experience was you had a game against Akron coming up that it probably didn't matter a whole lot who you played at quarterback and it allowed you to let McCord play. And more importantly, it gave CJ Stroud another break that he needed that week, which wasn't just a physical break. Like, I think he needed a mental break that week. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't put Kyle McCord in that category. Like this late in the season, this is his job and he's the guy. And even though, yes, he has had, and I've pointed them out as much as anybody over the past few weeks, like he's, he's the ball security has been an issue. He's gotten loose with it a little bit. He made the really bad decision in the red zone. Like those are all true things, but it's not like it's a, a, avalanche of bad things there's also good things that he's doing out there and it's just a matter of as as andrew's kind of alluding to like he has to work this out in real time like him going to the bench at this stage of a season doesn't help you beat michigan in any way i don't think in three weeks like you need him out there being under duress for the next time and knowing how to throw it away the next time making the better decision Making, you know, trying to eliminate some of these, like that intentional grounding that was very close to being a disaster, uh, uh, you know, getting rid of the, the fumbles the next time he gets sacked, like all those things are, have to be worked through in game. And, and, and these next three games give you a good opportunity to do that. You know, all respect to Rutgers, they have a good defense. This offense can't expect to just go in and, and walk over them and put up a ton of points. They should expect to win, I think, this game. But I think you've got an opportunity for these next three weeks with this level of opponent to 
to just just work through those things and be a better quarterback when Michigan comes up. I think, you know, with uh, if if this were last year and you had CJ Stroud who had already kind of proven that he was an elite level first round pick type quarterback top of the first round, I would be much more considerate, uh, not considerate. I, I would take under consideration sitting him more than I would Kyle McCord, I think for that reason too. Um, because I, I, what, like with CJ Stroud, you, you know what he is like, and he, he, yeah, but, but they didn't know that when they did it three games into the season. No, I'm like saying like if, 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 if CJ Stroud was still the quarterback, like right now, if he was the quarterback, like if you were at this point of the season at this time, you're playing Rutgers, you're eight, no, you know, assuming that CJ Stroud's talent level is kind of what it was and he continued to evolve. Like if he had come back, I, I would feel much more comfortable saying, you know what, let's, let's turn it over to Kyle. If, if CJ can't really run, like if CJ can't really move, let's turn it over to Kyle for a game because I think you, you don't fear a disruption and you don't fear, you know, not getting a week of development maybe as much as you would with CJ. I don't know. I might disagree with that. Still, I think you'd be be, be, be no, more nervous because you're sitting a a what at that point would be a third year starting quarterback for a guy who at that point would have started one game, and that was four years ago. At that point, if if CJ Stroud was still here, there, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I I think that I'd be more open to it if Devin Brown was 100 percent healthy and not coming back from his own situation here. And I, like Nathan said, he's expected to practice this week, but that doesn't mean he's expected to be available on Saturday. That doesn't even mean he's going to be full goal at practice this week. So I think if Devin Brown were healthy, I'd be more open to it. And if this were like week three, I'd be even more open to it. Of like, okay, well, this is still a competition anyway. So let Devin Brown get his chance and Kyle McCord can get healthy here. What'd you guys think of the golf analogy that Ryan Day used today to describe quarterback play? Well, I don't golf, so I, I didn't get it. <laughs> I'm not yeah, a golfer. I'm, I'm actually not a golfer either, so it wasn't. Okay. It was a very uh, Tim May question. Or was it Rob Aller that asked it? Actually, it was Rob Aller. Yeah, um, from the Dispatch. Um, it, was, it was essentially a question about like, is it? Is it? Can you just have it like a day where you go out and you just don't have it? Like, yeah. is that a thing? And Ryan Day was like, no. You don't get to. <laughs> you don't get to do that. You don't get to just be like, eh, poop my pants. What are you gonna do? Like, you've got to actually be. Uh, you got to be on every Saturday. That's just like part of the deal here. And um, and and I guess like a lot of people do. I guess so do we. Like, we have to show up every Saturday and do our job. Just the stakes mm-hmm. are a lot less, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if we don't have a good podcast after a game on a Saturday. Um, the, the, we didn't like lose something that day. We just come back and do the next podcast. Whereas for someone sitting there counting, um, what they're doing and, and when you don't have a good day, it, it counts against you. And I thought that that was when he was evaluating McCord's performance earlier in the interview, in the press conference, you know, made sure to start off with, you know, here's, it, it reminded me of like being back in, um, like fiction writing workshops in college where you, you'd read something and you have to go around the room and everybody's like, okay, well start off with like, what did we like about this? Like before you get to the critique and it was kind of like, well, he had some really good throws. Like there were definitely some good moments. He settled down the second half. And then, but at the end of the day, uh, what was it? Through the, I think the exact quote was something like, you know, you, as, at quarterback, you're always, you know, one play away from ruining your day or something like that. 
And yeah. I don't think he's saying that in a in a way that would say, well, you've got to play hesitant or you've got to play, you know, scared in any way. It's just a reminder of the consequences of a play like that fourth down or that I'm sorry, red zone interception. So no, I mean it, it was it was interesting in so much as like he's like, no, you don't get to show up and just like have that day where you're just shanking it and uh you just because again for most golfers in the world the only consequence is you like wasted your 40 bucks that day or whatever on that round right you go home mad i don't know how much it costs to go golfing uh, golfing um, is I, so <laughs> when i was in college one of my jobs my summer jobs was to work at a country club uh, i get it was a country club way more than 40 dollars way more than well $40. i'm talking about like public courses i'm talking about like the munis the whatever Even still that golf is expensive man like some people like I'm, i know I golfers yeah golfers like will take the ball that like be like oh this is the ball that tiger uses and that's i'm gonna drive it down the fairway because of that and then they hit it 100 yards into the woods so anyway you know what i'm saying I know what you're but saying. You know what I'm saying. Like you, you have a bad day. You're mad about it. You go home. Um, you stew about it, and you wake up the next day and go on about your life. Yep. Like, so you get you the golfer, the average golfer, uh, whoever Rob Aller, if he's a golfer, he goes out and has a bad golf game. He gets to have that bad game. Common Core doesn't. He you have to figure it out in real time and kind of right the ship. So I I think Jim Knowles also said something like this today, something similar, where he was talking about, you know, kind of how to, you know, correct. I forget the exact question where he said this, but he was like, praise, praise, adjust or praise, praise, correct or whatever. Praise, praise, what, correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Whatever. Yeah. And, and, and I think that was kind of the same vibe that I got from Ryan Day, too, where it was like, hey, like, highlight the good things, highlight the good things, then tell him what he can do better. Highlight the good things, highlight the good things, tell them what you can do better rather than just be like, this was bad, this was bad, this was bad, this was bad. And also you did this fine. Like, I, and I think that there was kind of a, uh, I think that there was actually some overlap there, even though they were talking about two completely different things. I think you saw some symmetry there. Okay. I, I, I liked the golf metaphor he was using there because I, I get what he was trying to say because in golf, He's saying every throw is its own thing. Every snap is its own thing. And every golf shot is its own thing. But from a macro view, they do kind of add on each other, right? If you have one, if your drive sucks and you're behind now, then you might not get on par and all that, all the other golf talk that I don't know that well. While with football, it's like Kyle McCord, every individual throw is its own individual throw. But then you do take a step back and you look at it from the macro because what if you have a bad first down then it sets you back for second down what if you have a bad second down it sets you back for third down it puts you in these situations so it's almost just like you operate in this kind of micro level but there's always a macro viewpoint to things i think that's what he's trying to say I, I thought we got some coach day quotes today between that and then when he was breaking down the screen pass that was supposed to go to travion henderson and why it didn't work i thought we got some some a look into to what ryan day is like when he's coaching when he's teaching. And I thought that the golf analogy was an interesting way for him to, 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 to go about that when talking about quarterback play, anything else that we need to hit on Nathan today? I think we, I think we tackled everything. I think, um, you know, definitely some talk about just what it's going to mean to have Emeka Buka back. And it's something that yeah. we have to keep reminding ourselves that this offense, as much as we have scrutinized it over the last few weeks, that it has missed some pretty important people. And it got one of them back last week in Trevin Henderson. And we saw the difference that made. 
And if they had made mm-hmm. some better choices with the ball at other times, it would have been, you know, a, a, a 30 or 34 point game instead of a 24 point game. So those things matter. And, and this, this offensive line, um, you know, he was definitely complimentary of, as we were after the game of, mm-hmm at least from a run blocking perspective that this offensive line seemed to take a bit of a step forward and w- was doing some good things and it's not going to correct overnight. Like it's got to be gradual improvement. I know that might sometimes seem like glacial improvement. This is me talking, not Ryan day um, that it's it because it's just so such a slow progression, but at the end of the day, that's the only thing that's going to get them better at this point. It's going to have to be, you know, building, having a good game, trying to have a slightly better game the next week, and hopefully that gets you to a more stable place by the time you get to Ann Arbor on November 25th. But he seemed to think it was a step forward. I think we all thought it was a step forward from a run-blocking standpoint watching the game that night. And now I think it's a combination of can you get Kyle McCord more healthy and help his awareness a little bit get that offensive line pass blocking a little bit better. And then that side of the ball looks that, that equation looks better too. That's a good way to sum that up. Okay. Get the text 614-350-3315. Listen, if you want playoff information, that, that information went out to your phone first before Nathan wrote a post about it before. And while we were talking with boo and all the playoff committee people, we were texting about it first before we were doing literally. It, I love that. His name is boo. It's, it's just, <laughs> It's just such a it's such a the right name to have for what his job is in relation to us as media members. So all that information going to your phone first. It's, we're in it's the- Halloween too. We're gonna talk to I Boo know. on Halloween. Oh, shout out! That's amazing. <laughs> it's awesome. It's amazing. So listen, if you want to know what Boo, I, I always get caught up. I, I get stuck. I always either want to call him Boo Radley, which is the character from To Kill a Mockingbird, or I always just want to preface my questions on the teleconference by going. Hey, boo. And I, I never have had the courage to do it, but maybe one of these weeks. Not boo, so if you not want to know what Jackson, former Ohio University starting quarterback, is that not who we're talking about? We don't about? know who that is, man. No one We knows. don't even know who that is. We don't know I who guarantee you somebody listening knows who Boo Jackson is. Okay. Well, if you want to know what Boo Corrigan has to say <laughs> about the playoff committee and some of their decisions, sign up for the text 614-350-3315 as you're listening to this. We're preparing to go talk with players on Wednesday evening as Ohio State prepares to take on Rutgers. And get the text because the survey is going out real soon. And we're going to be talking more Kyle McCord because he's eight games into this season. And I just want to get a tech temperature check on how we're feeling about where Kyle McCord is right now, how far he's potentially come has come as a quarterback and where we think his ceiling could be, whether that's this year or just in the near future here. So get the text 614-350-3315. Playoff information, quarterback information, recruiting information, anything you want, Ohio State. We send it there first. Two-week free trial, 399 after that. So for Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, for Boo Kerrigan, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.